In this episode, I discuss pets and co-regulation. My name is Justin Sinceri. I'm a licensed marriage family therapist. Welcome to Stuck Not Broken. I think this episode's safe. I, I, there's nothing traumatizing or re-traumatizing as far as I can tell in this. But you do know yourself best, so please put yourself first. I'm on justinlmft.com. This is a blog that I wrote that I wanted to talk about here as well. And someone had asked me uh, via Instagram. By the way, if you want to ask me questions, feel free to. You can uh, email me justinlmft at gmail.com. I really like the questions that I get every now and then because it gives me a chance to think about and talk about things that I don't typically. And no, I'm not inundated with gobs of fan mail. (laughs) I I am, uh, I'm pretty on top of this stuff. I am caught up. I I can't guarantee I'll answer your question or respond to you, but um, I read everything. So please uh, send it to me. I'd love to know what you want to know about. This is what I got via Instagram DM. This person wrote to me and said, is it possible to co-regulate with a pet? I am incapable of trusting slash liking slash enduring people enough to get to a safe co-regulation situation. So I'm trying to find holes in the system (laughs) to be able to heal myself and get unstuck. Otherwise, I'm screwed. My dog seems to be my only safe space in the world you might be able to relate to that, dear listener. So my answer is yes, it is absolutely possible to co-regulate with a pet, especially if you have a mammal. If you got a dog, if you got a cat, those can be, or even like my daughter used to have a rat, right? And she and that rat would, I would say they definitely co-regulate with each other. There was, there was actually like a bonding and attachment that happened there. Was it a rat? No, it was a mouse. It was a mouse. Coconut. That was his name, Coconut. Yeah, if you have a mammal, if you if you have a reptile or a bird, there, I don't know if I would call it co-regulation. You might feel connected. You might feel safe. So maybe we could call it co-regulation, but really co-regulation is something that happens between mammals. First off, what is co-regulation? It, it's one of the three pillars of the polyvagal theory, along with the evolutionary hierarchy of the autonomic nervous system and the concept of neuroception. But co-regulation is one of the pillars. And it's, again, it's something that happens between two mammals. And it's really, it's a social interaction that two mammals uh, engage in to help each other regulate their physiology. And what that does is that it optimizes bodily resources. And if if you're able to co-regulate and help each other stay in a safe and social state, that is going to optimize your bodily resources for health and growth and restoration, as Dr. Porges says. So for example, the parent that looks into the eyes of their toddler, that gently looks into the eyes of their toddler, that might be throwing a tantrum, the parent is in their safe and social state. They're giving cues of safety easily, spontaneously. They're not really planning it out. If they're in their safe and social state, they're simply giving that gentle eye contact. The child, though, is in more of a sympathetic state. They're throwing a tantrum, maybe screaming, maybe yelling. They're highly energized. They're very dysregulated. So the parent's cues of safety might help that toddler to get back into their own safe and social state and call, and maybe calm down. I'm not saying it's that easy, but it can be absolutely part of the larger equation of helping a child through a tantrum. The, the child here is not exactly actively engaging in a conscious co-regulation. It's more of a passive, like they're receiving this passive co-regulation. And that's a lot different than actively self-regulating, actively taking a deep breath and slowing down. Now, of course, kids can learn that, but 
at first they're going to they're going to get co-regulation which will eventually lead to it's going to build up to self-regulation but again i want to i want to really stress this this is a mammalian thing because mammals are the only ones that the only organisms that stay in families or tribes that require social engagement in order to optimize bodily resources mammals are the only ones that have a ventral vagal social engagement system these are biological pathways that are unique again unique to mammals that are necessary for social bonding and actually increases the chances of survival because if you stay close to your family or your tribe that's going to increase the chances of survival they're going to look out for each other it's also important for breastfeeding uh, nurturing being close warmth gentle touch through co-regulation is extremely important it's also important for communication because even before language like developed language we would use maybe some vocalizations but touch would probably be an important way to communicate as well and for mammals these specific pathways allowed for the very first teeny tiny mammals to be able to hear each other as distinct from the larger reptiles that were uh, dominating the planet at the time and the specific vocalizations that mammals can create with vocal prosody a, a larger or wider range of voice the mammalian range of voice would also be important to indicate safety or danger and to also be able to hear each other as distinct from those those reptiles so mammals have our own unique physiology all of these pieces allow us to signal to each other when we're safe or when we're not and that allows us to be close to each other but also to provide to provide safety but also provide um, resources and, and nurturance it also allows for mammals to make families and tribes on top of that or, or now cities i suppose all of this includes uh, pets like dogs they become a part of our families and our much larger human tribes birds and reptiles they don't really have those same biological pathways they don't really co-regulate with each other there's no social engagement there's no facial affect they're they're basically constantly in a state of mobilization or immobilization they're not really creating families bonding attaching sticking with each other for months at a time maybe they're not breastfeeding this is all mammalian stuff we have to be close to each other to keep this going our mammalian i keep saying the word mammal but it's kind of mammalian but it's kind of important what our mammalian third autonomic pathway does is the ventral vagal what it does is it takes those older pathways of mobilization and immobilization and then it repurposes them it utilizes them not for defense but for connection for pro-social uh, behaviors and for health and growth and restoration as well we do have the biology of flight fight and of shutdown and we still use those the biology for flight fight is used in play and the biology for immobilization the shutdown system is used for stillness like uh, being close being intimate using the restroom meditation self-reflection that all require or sitting and listening in class all these things require stillness and that requires us to immobilize but with safety so mammals are very unique that's the that's the basic idea here can a dog co-regulate hell yeah they can and they're really really good at it and if you have a dog you know exactly how they feel like they show it all over their bodies right like there's no mistaking it when 
they're in a state of safety. They instantaneously, they just get closer. They might be waiting for you when you get home. (laughs) They want to cuddle. They lay next to you. They look you in the eyes, right? They become more playful. Their tails, their ears, their eyes, all of it expresses safety. It expresses attachment and connection or, or wanting to at least. And then what happens is our individual human nervous systems pick up on those safety cues which causes a neuroception of safety within us. And that neuroception of safety helps our autonomic nervous system to climb to the top, or hopefully climb to the top of the polyvagal ladder and access our own safety state. So the co-regulation from a dog or even a cat or a other mammalian pet is just like co-regulation from another human. It's, it's spontaneous. It's not really planned out. Just like the parent I talked about before that give gentle eye eye contact to their toddler. They don't really plan it out. I guess you could, but if you're truly in your safety state, you don't really have to. It's just there. It's spontaneous. When we're really in our state of safety, we instantaneously give cues of safety to those around us. It's not a conscious plan thing. It's just something that mammals do for each other, which is pretty darn cool. Co-regulation is not something I included in my building safety anchors course, maybe for a future version. But co-regulation could be a potential anchor for you. I, I probably is. I don't know how likely you are to utilize that or if you have that in your life. But co-regulation could be or is a, a very good safety anchor. If you can purposefully surround yourself with safe mammals, you're probably going to increase the amount of safety cues that are coming your way. Like safe friends, safe family, safe coworkers, and even safe pets. So even though co-regulation is passive, you can increase the chances of receiving co-regulation by surrounding yourself with safe mammals. No, I don't recommend you go out and buy or adopt a bunch of pets. Please don't do that. I'm just, hopefully you get the idea. Please don't, please don't do that. (laughs) What's going to make a really, really good co-regulator, whether they're human or pet, is going to be that mammals individual access to their well their individual state of safety and social engagement that that's really the biggest part of this is if they have a strong strong anchor in there that they're going to be able to be a probably more effective co-regulator as again just as a passive offering so i think it begs the question just as a i think it's an interesting one do animals get traumatized as long as you treat your animal well They're really, really good self-regulators also. They know what they need. They know how to utilize their flight energy, right? They know how to use their fight energy and how to be aggressive and and to use it. And for the most part, I don't think animals get, really get traumatized, especially wild animals. They're really, really good at utilizing their energy. They kind of have to. Because if they were traumatized, they would make for very easy prey probably they wouldn't accurately neurocept safety or danger so animals in the wild i think are fantastic at recognizing their flight energy or their fight energy and utilizing it and if they need to yeah they'll go into their shutdown state as well but domestic animals i think are different domestic animals well first off they don't have as much space as a wild animal they're really kind of confined within the walls of, uh, of your home or the fence or the yard. So there's, there's less opportunities to do their natural instincts like hunting or, or digging. 
And these are just a couple of the ways that they would use to utilize their defensive energy. So instead, they end up ripping up couches and toys and whatnot, right? But also, domestic animals are living with human beings, and human beings that are potentially not very good co-regulators. Humans who are not accessing their own state of safety. So domestic animals in these types of homes, depending on how intense it is, could be kind of saturated in danger cues from their human family. Now combine that with being confined, and and you have the ingredients for what might result in a traumatized animal. And of course, there might be those pets that are just downright being mistreated, right? So do animals get traumatized in the wild? For the most part, I, I don't think so. In a, in a home, yeah, possibly. We have two dogs, Daisy and Ginger. Ginger is, I guess, what you call a rescue dog. She was at first uh, very, I remember when we got her, she was very passive, just laid around, seemed pretty down depressed, and I was like, yes, this is the dog for us. We're just going to hang out, lay around, kick back, right? And uh, we got her home. And she had some sort of medical issue they didn't know about. We got that fixed. And after that was fixed, she was a whole different dog. She was basically about to die. Like, we didn't realize it, but she was about, like, maybe a a day away from dying, the vet told us. So we really did, you know, rescue her right in time. But she ended up being quite the different dog. She's not this uh, depressed, laying around uh, dog. She definitely is extremely cuddly, hugely affectionate to anybody and everybody. But she's also pretty anxious. Like, she'll. She's always just constantly alert, and we've learned that's kind of just part of her breed. But we used to live in this home that was a zero lot. The, the home before this one was a zero lot. So that means we there was no backyard. There was no front yard. It was just basically, uh, like I guess, like a townhome style. It was two-story, but the homes were just side by side. There was no you know, private like front or backyard. And, the, and we, we used to keep her and the other dog, Daisy, downstairs. So they didn't have a whole lot of room to play and run around and explore. And for Ginger, she's a Cairn Terrier. And for her breed, they need to really move around a lot. And they need to, uh, to constantly kind of check the perimeter. That's uh, pretty normal for them. And they like to chase after birds and whatever else. They're always on alert. So for her, she, I don't think she was doing very well in that home. And we moved to a, to a new home, a lot more space in the house. They're not confined to the downstairs. We, it's it's one level, and um, they can go anywhere they want to, except for my bed there or my the furniture in my office. That is absolutely not allowed. <laughs> but we also have a much much bigger backyard, and so she just runs around tearing it up. Just she hauls, and she needs that. She needs that space to like really, like, run. And we noticed her, I don't know how to put it, her mental health, <laughs> her dog mental health, uh, really, it was different. She seems like a much happier dog. We, we all noticed it pretty much right away. Like, she just simply seems like a much happier dog because she's able to utilize her energy a lot more effectively. She has more opportunities to dig and chase things. We have birds and squirrels out here. Inside the house, there's more space to run. We play all the time. Outside, she, the base, the backyard is basically her. She's out there. Uh, off and on just running around like she's just she's just happier so having the space i think generally makes a big deal especially if your breed needs the space and and we have one she's part Karen terrier she needs the space daisy she's a 
Pomeranian. She's she's the runt of the litter. She's the smallest one out of the uh, purebred Pomeranian litter. But Daisy is tiny. She doesn't have a whole lot of energy. She I think she's at five pounds, and that's like her max. That's going to be it. She's not growing anymore. She's a dog that likes to be carried around, and she's constantly at my wife's side or on her lap or in her arms. So Daisy, does she doesn't need that. She needs people. She needs to constantly kind of be with somebody. She doesn't really want to run around, and when she runs around, it's over and done with pretty darn quickly. She's not chasing anything. She'll bark and yap when the doorbell goes off, which is just the worst sound. But she doesn't need the same level of energy discharge as Ginger does. And Ginger's eh, a little bit bigger than Daisy. Not She's not a big dog whatsoever. She's more like a medium size, I guess. But they have different needs. And Daisy just needs people. And Ginger loves people, but really just needs space. And so they both get their needs met. Daisy's a fantastic... They're both really good, really good co-regulators, actually. But Daisy is the on-your-lap co-regulator, and Ginger is play, 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 jump on you. Anybody. She'll she'll attach to anybody. I hope this was helpful. Um, I'd love to know about your dogs or your cats or whoever you co-regulate with that is not a human being. Feel free to email me. Uh, you can use justinlmft at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. And again, I do hope you enjoyed this episode. Check out Building Safety Anchors. That is going to be, there's going to be a link in the description below. I think it's a great course that can really help you out with really becoming more in the present moment. Again, thank you so much for listening. Bye.